Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight. I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Long fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes. Twenty five lighters on my dresser, and yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. I'm from the right center, and the Braves have landed. Twenty five lighters on my dresser, and yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. Swing and drive. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. What's up everybody, welcome to the third episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast. I am Dylan, with me as always is the brain trust of this whole operation, Doc Herbert, who is working his way towards a raise because he has been working non-stop this entire week, uh, bringing us a few more guests that you guys are going to love hearing. But before we get to any of you know, the, the professional guests, we brought, Doc, how would you categorize our guest today? I would categorize our guest as possibly the most uh, ridiculous and honest person I have ever met in my entire life, and uh, <laughs> genuinely one of my one of my favorite people I have ever known. I think he is in a box all on his own. He sees the box of the the bloggers, the typical podcasters, and he goes, "Eh, no, I'm going to be in this box over here." It is everyone's favorite knucklehead, Josh Brown. Josh, thanks for coming on with us today. It's about time y'all got some damn talent on here. Lord. <laughs> For all of you who don't know, there is a disturbing look into Josh's insecurity that if he ever presses me the wrong way, I have some texts that I will release um, that do not paint him <laughs> in the most masculine light. So when when this TPS and Nakahoma Nation feud really gets full on into swing, look for some of these leaks to happen. <laughs> like you're the only person with dirt on me, dude. This my friends have so much dirt on me. Can you imagine if I ever are they podcast hosts? Anything? Oh, okay, good point. Exactly. Right. And they right. might they might have a little more decorum. I will I'll I'll play dirty. I will house of cards this sitch. Hold on, let me Google what decorum means real quick. Looking at that right now. Decorum. <laughs> Got it. Okay, ready to go. All right. Well, it's actually it worked out great. We didn't know this was going to happen when we got Josh set up to be on. Um, I think we can safely say that today was the marking of. It takes a lot for me to think less of you than I thought of Bud Selig. Um, mm. Manfred is quickly trying to take that crown. Uh, if you did <laughs> not hear, the worst pace of play rule of all time was put into effect today for the minor leagues. Uh, Starting in the tenth inning, and when they when they first suggested this, I thought this was the single most ridiculous rule I'd ever heard in my life. Uh, I thought it had no legs, and yet they decided to implement it anyway. So, starting in all minor league levels, triple A, double A, single A, blah blah blah, all that stuff. In the tenth inning, a runner will start on second base. It will be charged as an unearned run if he scores. Basically, it treats it as he reached on an error. Mm. Have you ever, either of you, in your life, heard of a more ridiculous rule for baseball? This is why I'm a hockey fan, guys. This is why I'm a hockey fan. Oh, God. It, I mean, the thing about, like, America and rules and, and, and legislators and governments and laws, it, it's all reactionary. 
something happens, you got to make a law or a rule to try to combat that. And it's obvious, it's usually overcorrected, right? That's why we feel like warning labels and everything. That's why you're pumping gas and you see some like government issue sign that says not to do something stupid. Or you're why someone has up to tell you not to eat a Tide Pod. Exactly, exactly. You can't, you can't, don't, don't try to bite this toy because it's got stuff in it or something. And, and, like, baseball, baseball's reactionary and it's a bunch of bored guys and Rob Manturd making up a bunch of just dumbass shit. You know, hockey? It's true to itself, man. It's like, it's changed very, very, very little, if anything, in like 40, 50 years. All they've done is try to tone down the fights a little bit. Yeah, they, exactly. They've tried to tone down the fights a little bit. So if you watch hockey now, you're probably going to see less fights. However, I mean, I, I saw I saw one of our boys uh, uh, stall for the Hurricanes just whoop up on the guy's ass two weeks ago, you know. So you, you still see it, but you see it less. Yeah, to your point. If you watch hockey, you're watching the same game as your granddad did. If you watch baseball, I'm sorry. I sound like an old man yelling at the clouds. But it's a different game than it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Especially this stupid rule. It's terrible. You know, when they were doing this in the, the World Baseball Classic, that, that I think it's, you know, that's a scrimmage. That's an exhibition. You can get away with doing something like that. You can get away with doing something like this in Little League, you know? Uh-huh. A lot of people that that don't pay attention to minor leagues are going, what's the big deal? Who cares about the minor leagues? Well, you know, they're, this is almost like a step before they put it in the majors. That's why it's affecting all minor league levels. And it's not just starting out with low A. Exactly. So like I, you know, I think, and I'm, I could be mistaken here. I don't know how much of this is Manfred and MLB because I think that minor league baseball is its own independent entity. So what makes me nervous about it though is that Manfred is obviously going to be paying attention to this going, hmm, this is like this is like college football overtime. We could be onto something. And if there's any level of success, because that wasn't the only the only rule. They shorten the times on pitch clocks. They they have mound visit limits now um, th- that escalate as the higher you go in the in the minor league systems. Um, right. you know, they they just trimmed uh, five seconds off the pitch clock. And and five five seconds doesn't sound like a lot in the grand scheme of things, but I mean, if that, that's a quarter of the time that they had. So uh-huh. I, I just, I just can't, I'm trying really hard to toe the line between emotionally neutral and uh-huh. uh, excessively passionate. And no, you need to go full thing. nuclear. Like, like I am, you need to go full nuclear, let it out, doc. Uh, this, this is, is the, the stupidest rule. Thing I've ever seen. Stupidest rule thing I've ever seen. I have ever heard. You basically just did what everybody did when they were a seven-year-old kid. You just put ghost runners on second, and you yeah. saved you saved five ten minutes at most. Because I'm assuming both teams get to start with a runner on second. So now, by the way, for everybody that said having a bunter is useless on the team, ha! Screw you. Looks like that's going to be a real specialist now. If if they're going to do this, if they they if the whole idea is to bring in like people that are that are really going to care about pace of play, like those people will leave after the sixth or seventh inning. They're not sticking around till the tenth. If you want to make it really interesting, expand the rosters, give them twenty seven, so you instead of twenty five, so you can have your your super speed guy and your your uh, world class bunter. You know what I mean? Because guy just and who knows when this goes into effect, we might not even you know everybody was was up in arms about pitch clocks and you go to a game now it's like you don't even notice the clock is there but for something like this it's like five percent of the games though that actually go into the 10th inning so you've just made yourself look ridiculous for a rule that you might not that you're only going to use a couple times and if it works out it's only going to shave off five or ten minutes yeah yeah so i'm i was down with the new cars cigarettes and babes I was down with the cars. I thought that was cool. They never should have got away with that. If we could have the mascots be the ones that drive the the relievers from the bullpen to the mound, I think that there's a niche there. Some hilarity mm-hmm. could ensue, and I think we've got a real market there. Well, I think we should actually talk about the Braves a little bit, not just the oh, okay. stupid, ridiculous change of pl- – I, I can't talk about that rule very much. I'm going to keep getting more and more angry. Um, I yeah. do have a topic I wanted to talk about, and – this actually kind of coincides when you're friends with Josh. Um, you you get exposed to a darker side of Twitter uh, that you didn't realize existed, and you see just how depressing some of these dudes are. 
We're like, and I don't know how representative of the fan base this is, but some of these guys, like, you know that little that little emo kid when you were in high school who you'd go to say, hey, what's going on? If if you kind of bumped into each other and said, everything's horrible, life is a lie, the world is dark. Like that. That's what like half this. I feel like half the fan base has reached this. So maybe I'm just maybe I'm just now getting exposed to it because I don't deal with as many people as you guys do. What is this balance of fan base between ridiculously stupid high end happy and like want to cut your wrist to an Aiden soundtrack low? <laughs> oh yeah, I, I remember. Uh, so my redneck brother just got on Twitter. If you guys, what's funny? People think I'm a redneck. They have no idea what a redneck is. Uh, no, I'm you're a hipster redneck. who pretends to be redneck. Exactly, but. I play it up on the podcast. It's fun. Anyways, my redneck brother just got on Twitter about, uh, I don't know, four or five months ago. Before he was on Twitter, I told him about these people you're talking about. I'm like, dude, there are people on Twitter.com. <laughs> there are baseball people who they don't, they don't think driving and runs is important. They disregard RBI. They, they think it's just totally a random number. Uh, they, they don't like hits. There's people on Twitter that don't like hits. They, they think you're stupid if you – get excited about injuring CR take it him. And I would tell him these things and he would, he wouldn't believe me. But he's like, it's kind of like when he told me that there were like safe zones in colleges now, because <laughs> these little millennials like are, are being afraid of getting bullied. And there's literally, there's literally safe zones. There's like, if you're like at the university of Minnesota and you're getting bullied, you can walk into a, a designated like box thing. Like I'm not even, this is real life. And then, then you're safe from being bullied. And like, I thought my brother then was full of crap, but he was right. And he thought I was full of crap when I was telling him that there's people that don't like, um, you know, hits and stuff, but it's true. Yeah. They get, they get really, there's people on Twitter that hate hits and Nick Marcakis and, and driving and runs and all stuff. Well, it's not even just the Marcakis hate. I expect that to a large degree. Um, it's, it's how depressing their timelines get. Like they, they literally have nothing good to say about, Atlanta at all. So I then wonder, oh, yeah, why yeah, are you yeah, even yeah. a fan, first off? Not only that, yeah, that, yeah, um, uh, like the of the world. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, they, 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 not only that, you're right, for sure. Which I get, I mean, part of being a fan is bitching and complaining. So I, I respect some of that, okay? I do that. But if you are complaining about the Braves being racist and the Braves being a terrible organization, then don't be a fan anymore. Like, it's fine. Like, be a Royals fan. Be an Arizona Diamondbacks fan, you know, uh, switch your wrist, you know, play in traffic, maybe eat paint chips. I don't know. <laughs> but like, don't be a Braves fan. Like, why are you, why, if you really think, if you true, in your heart of hearts, if you truly think you Atlanta Braves, who have the best international scouting department in all sports on the planet, who pay a black Colombian guy $8 million a year to suck every fifth day, if you think that's racist, if you, th- if you think the Atlanta Braves are racist for letting a Panamanian guy Steal a white guy from his job last year. If you get the racist, if you really think they're racist, then don't be a Braves fan. Um, I do want to talk about this whole the expectations for Atlanta because I think it can go one of two ways. I think with the ridiculous spring that Acuna's had, um, I think he's I think he's lead, is he leading the league right now as far as hitting goes in in the spring. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, okay. He was uh he was yesterday, I believe. Um but Dustin Peterson you've seen come on strong lately, hitting two home runs in the last week or so. Austin Riley looked pretty good when he wasn't striking out. Um actually looked really, really good going opposite field, which I love to see. Uh Alex Jackson his defense was so far ahead of where I expected it to be that you gotta think that he's a lot closer to the bigs than maybe some people thought coming in. There's a lot of young players right now that look to be on the cusp. I'm wondering, with that said, what constitutes a successful season for Atlanta this year? Is, is it still 78 to 81? Because I've got the Braves pegged at 81 wins this year. I think your bullpen is going to be a lot better than it was a season ago. Just by the fact that you don't have Jim Johnson or Ian Kroll to be throwing 80 innings between the two of them. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that that in and of itself will make you a better bullpen. I think AJ Minter, Dan Winkler, health barring with those two will be 
outstanding additions. I still think I know Aniello Gomez got roughed up yesterday. Uh, I still love what I've seen out of him. I think the Braves will have a, a really good bullpen. And once they decide who's going to actually be in the bullpen, I'll have a piece kind of detailing what I think. But I think the bullpen will actually be the most improved area of the club. I just don't want to set expectations too high because I've already seen some people thinking that the Braves will be in a wild card chase. Um, think asking already looking around like, are we going to be buyers or sellers at the deadline? I want to pump the brakes on that a little bit. I agree with the bullpen assessment. I do agree with that. Uh, I think uh, I now let me qualify this with this. Okay, I almost every year am overly optimistic. Okay, and I'm almost always wrong. Uh, <laughs> but I uh, I think the Braves could be sneaky good this year. Uh, other than the Nationals, I mean the the NL East is, is kind of weak. I think um, if the Mets can stay non injured, maybe maybe they're competitive. The Marlins suck. The Phillies suck. Uh, I think that I don't know. I think the Braves are good. Uh, I think the starting pitching is going to be better. I, uh, I think uh, I'm very excited about. AJ Minter, I really am. Um, I don't know why Kill Morris keeps getting the shaft. I, I like him a lot. I think Devin Watts maybe makes an emergence, maybe like midseason, maybe. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think they're going to be. I think they'll be good, man. I do. Uh, I do. I, I know I'm a Nick Marquez fan, but when I play it up on the Twitters, but I do think they need some power. You know, so I, I really thought they were going to get some kind of power back, either left or third base or whatever, and they, and they didn't. And I don't think they're going to. You can still be good competitive, you know, without that pop, uh, like the 2014 Royals. But that's pretty hard to do, right? You have to have a lot of speed to do that. So, uh, I don't know. They're going to be better than they were last year. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and speaking of that bullpen, you're talking about the bullpen was a four five eight collective ERA a season ago with a one thirty six WHIP. Uh, that that's what I think is going to be able to be improved upon. In 2016, it was 395, which is respectable. Um, but really, for the past three years, it's kind of been the weakness of the club. Last year, it got overshadowed a little bit because the starting pitching was just awful for the vast majority of the season. I'm with you on that. I do think the starters are going to be better. Uh, I expect Tehran to bounce back and have a better season, more reminiscent of 16. Not as good as 16 because I think – I think that the dynamic has changed a little bit. The style of play has has changed just a touch. Uh, the juicing of the baseball does not help either. Um, but mm-hmm. if McCarthy stays healthy, McCarthy has a chance to be. If McCarthy's healthy, he's going to be your best pitcher this season. Period. Uh, if, yeah, if, I, I totally agree with that. If we uh, can sit Gohara in a chair for a little with, bit, don't let him yeah, stand yeah. or walk. Yeah, I think if Gohara's healthy, I think he's. I think he's got potential to be better than McCarthy, but. I think he'll get um, roughed up a little bit, especially the first half, now that yeah. people have some tape Were on him. Were y'all surprised that he had ankles, by the way? I was surprised when he hurt his ankles in that period. The Brigadero <laughs> knows no pain. Okay. I just don't know. I just don't know why he's running, you know? I know he need, needs to get his condition, conditioning under control, but you ever see somebody running that's his size? Like, it's almost scary. CC Sabathia. Like, Prince Fielder. I mean, that's just... That's just a lot of pressure on the uh, on the ankles or the cankles and the knees and the hips and everything. So, um, yeah, he needs he needs to tone it back. If he can get the diet under control, he won't have to exercise as just much. Just set a chair on the sides of a treadmill, put his feet on the treadmill, so he's still walking, but he's sitting down, so he doesn't have a way to fall over and injure himself. Let him swim. He doesn't have to run. Let him swim. And nuke him, by yeah. the way. I know I've uh, I know I've killed Newcomb a lot. Uh, I, I have expressed doubt about what he eventually can become, but this spring he has taken gigantic leaps forward in as far as his command goes. Uh, and command and control are both different things, by the way. Command has to do with putting the pitch where you actually want to put it. Control is being able to throw it for a strike. Uh, he has looked great. This spring, uh, he's toned the walks down. His strikeouts are still working great. His curveball is still a thing of beauty. Um, this last start, four point two perfect innings. I I don't like to say this often because it happens a little too much. But I uh, I may have been a touch too harsh on Sean Newcomb. He uh, he looks like he will hold down a starter role. I think part of that has to do with how much of an Andelton fan you are. 
and this is why people always say that you can't judge a trade right after it happens, you know, especially I still involved, think we lost involved the trade. prospects. Well, and, and in the long run, that might be the case. But this guy that has shown up and, you know, always with the qualifiers, spring training stats are meaningless, but it's starting to look a little more even. And if this Sean Newcomb that has shown up for the past couple of weeks is really the guy, then you're getting closer to it being a push. Closer. I still need him to become closer. a top. I need him for, for that to become a, a push, a true push. Sean Newcomb needs to become a best of in baseball at something, whether it's the best curveball in the game, best changeup in the game, best strikeout pitcher in the game, because Angleton is a best of in the league. So it's not a straight push, um, but I, I can accept that. I don't have to like it's it, a, but I can accept it. And and there, there's more pieces involved, too. You know, right. the, uh, the Jaime Garcia or uh, the three pieces of the trade were Eric Ibar, Chris Ellis and Sean Newcomb. Chris Ellis was in the Jaime Garcia deal. And that got us who was in the Wascar, you know, right. And then Eric Ibar got us Cade Savick. So now when you start looking at the overall value of that, it, it starts to it starts to look a little better the farther you get away from it. But who knows? I'm, I'm just excited to, to see that that some of the some of his um, his control problems seem to really be correcting themselves. Still early, he could completely fall apart in a couple of weeks. But this is the Sean Newcomb we've been we've been waiting for. I mean, if it remains the way it has so far, then the Braves are going to have four spots for if if everything else coincides. But it should be four spots locked down to be at the very least solid, if not a touch deeper than what people were thinking. The problem right now is that fifth spot. Now, they don't need a fifth starter for a little bit, so it's not as worrisome. But right now, the candidates are one, Scott Casimir, and Josh's favorite player, not named Nick Marcakis or Matt Diaz, and that is Matt Whistler. Uh, And shockingly enough, they have nearly the same kind of stat line going. Um, Whistler's actually been a lot better than Casimir. Casimir has more walks than strikeouts. He's got a 4.66 ERA. Uh, six walks, I believe. Um, and he hit two batters the other day, which I wasn't too happy about. Whistler, on the other hand, a 4.5 ERA. He finally gave up his first home run. Uh, he got shelled a little bit. That's my worry with Whistler is he looked great while there was no pressure. All of a sudden, Gohara goes down and becomes, hey, if Whistler has another great start or two, he'll be the fifth guy. And then what do you know? He gets shelled. Josh, you, you still think Whistler's going to get that Cy Young? Oh, I think Whistler sucks. <laughs> I think, uh, let me explain. I think he's got great stuff. I don't think he sucks. I think he, uh, I think he's got terrible mound presence, man, and like terrible command. I think that's important. Uh, you know, you hear like coaches, especially youth coaches in high school, college coaches, like talking about the intangibles and stuff. Uh, and that stuff's important. And you, when you, when you go to the mound, Mike Stroke is a great example. If you watch Mike Soroka, <clears throat> he, uh, he's like a savage on the mail. Like he is angry and competitive and every personality is different. You know, not everybody can, can, you just can't look guy. shocked. Yeah. Whistler just and looked Matt like Whistler, he can't believe what happened every single Matt pitch. Whistler, yeah. Matt, I remember like Jojo Reyes was like this. Like he, he just, he's just kind of there. He's got, he, you put a guy, you put talent in a guy, you put the ability to throw a baseball hard in a guy with no personality and no, like, fire, and you put him on a mound, and it's like, eh. And Aaron Blair's kind of like that sometimes. And I love, you know me, I love Whistler, and he does have good stuff, man. The dude's talented. He wouldn't be where he is if he wasn't talented. Um, but he just, I think a lot of it's psychological at this point, right? He got up there. He did really good in, what, 2014? At the end of 2014? And he got knocked around a lot, and it just messed him up. And I don't know if he can be the guy that he ever was or was slated to be unless he gets traded. You know, I think a guy like that maybe ends up on another team somehow. And, you know, does he end up being a, a Charlie Morton kind of story? You know, like maybe because he's got it in him. It's just a matter of him getting up there and owning the fact that I'm a fucking badass and I'm about to make your wife miserable, you motherfucker. You know? Like, yeah, that's the kind of guy you gotta be. He's not and Lucas he's Sims not. on the mound. Lucas, right. it doesn't matter if he gives up five home runs on five pitches. He's still going to have that same intense, I'm about to kill you look on his face. Uh, which is why <laughs> yeah. which is why I think Lucas is such a good fit for the back end of the bullpen once the Braves figure mm-hmm. out that he's, he doesn't really have starter stuff. Uh, I think... Mm. 
I think the back. I said that. Yeah. Okay. His I, fastball I is his, his fastball is way too straight. I mean, he's he's right, got decent right. speed. He'll run at ninety four, and it's, you know, today that's kind of average, but that's that's still pretty good. Uh, he's got mm-hmm. another three pitches. His curveball can be really really good. Uh, his changeup last year was surprisingly good, and if his two seamer is working, then that can be a decent pitch. The problem is mm-hmm. his four seamer is dead straight, stays on a single plane, and gets crush chopped. Um, but he has the perfect type of mentality for somebody that you want to bring in in a late game situation. In a one inning stretch, it's kind of like Fulty. It's a lot of the same problems that Fulty faces, Sims faces as well, except Fulty's stuff is just a touch better. Because um, mm-hmm. Fulty's fastball, his four seamer is super <clears throat> flat as well. Um, but his knuckle curve, when it's working, is outstanding. His two seamer has good movement, good sharp movement, and his changeup has has good movement as well. Fulty's just a head case as well. Um, he's looked pretty good this spring, though. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping against hope, he's kind of turned that corner. Because I've maintained all along that Fulty would probably be better off as a bullpen or on somebody else's squad, but. It's good to see if you can get Tehran to return to form, if you can have Fulty to continue the small strides he's been making, even if he just kind of averages out a little bit and is more consistent start to start. Uh, You talk about McCarthy, if you can get, say, 180 innings out of McCarthy, all of a sudden you got the makings of a team that should be right around 500. I mean, you're not going to have pitchers really going seven innings anymore, but the offense should be better because you got to imagine that Freddie Freeman's not going to miss two months this year. Uh, you got another year for Dansby, uh, another year up here for Ozzy. You'll have uh, Acuna come up and, you know, two, three weeks into April. You've, you've got some, you've got some real pieces to play with. Now, can we honestly expect the catching duo of flowers and Suzuki to put up anything near what they did a season ago? Doc, how do you feel about that? That was a really special year that they that they had. So much of Flowers' value has always been in his defense that it, it's been really nice to to see him take that step forward. Uh, he added the the bigger leg kick, so I think some of his offensive uh, resurgence or just his surge in general because he, he never really hit like this. Before he was like a two thirty hitter before this. Yeah, when he was with Chicago, he was he was defense all day, but he wasn't wasn't so much offense. But he he's kind of turned it around a little bit, and I think a lot of that has to do with uh, working with Kevin Seitzer. And the same thing with Suzuki. You saw some of some of what he did in the second half of the year. Uh, that I still think they're going to be really good, but I don't think they they're going to wind up being as good as they were as they were last year. And defensively, I think if uh, some of the metrics suffered, you know, they were splitting time. Uh, with Ari Dickey, and you could just see the look on Suzuki's face at the end of games, where they would ask him questions about it, and he was like, oh, "I don't know, man. I'm just tired." Because <laughs> he, he would he would spend all game just chasing balls at the backstop because the you know knuckleball is the most unpredictable pitch in the game. So um, since they were both in place last year, and McCarthy is going to be the only one who's going to be be brand new in this situation. I guess Casimir, if he, if he winds up getting a um, nailing down that spot, but even if he does, I think Gahar is going to take it pretty quick. So you got another year with Julio, another year with Fulty, and with Nuke, and and with Gahara, and all these bullpen guys that kind of started to emerge last year. I think uh, the familiarity is really going to help, at least as far as on the, on the defensive side. I, I would not be surprised to to see them put up close to equal value. Uh, but just maybe in slightly different Even ways. with Suzuki with the 20 home runs in barely any time? And and that's kind of what I'm getting at with the, the overall value, if you're taking into account offense and defense together. The offense might regress, but since they're not having to deal with Bartolo and deal with Dickey and, and Garcia's inconsistencies, uh, a cleaned-up Nukem, I think it could be a really – I don't want to use the word cornerstone because that's so extreme, but I think that they could be really, really important pieces for this. And if you keep flowers around for long enough to where he gets to work with Alex Jackson, some, um, I know they work together in spring training, but like if, if Ajax starts in Mississippi and winds up in Gwinnett uh, by the end of next year, and then Gwinnett in Gwinnett into Atlanta in 2019, it'd almost be like, um, a continuation of the same type thing. Jackson's never going to be flowers, uh, no, fully but he, defensively. His framing and his receiving up, skills looked so much better this spring than what they did even during the season last year. He looked Oh yeah. He didn't look like a great defensive catcher, but he at least looked like a catcher. Yeah, and and not not everybody's going to wind up being being Buster Posey. 
you know, somebody who can, who can do it on both sides. So as long, as long as he's serviceable and you don't have to have the conversation about moving him to first or moving him back into the outfield, which obviously wasn't working in the first place, then, uh, Ajax could really have a, have a long, long-term role here. As long as he keeps progressing with his hit tool. What do you think constitutes a successful season for the Braves? Um, win wise, I think anything in the 78 range or above would be nice. I think they have the the possibility to make some noise, but I think 78 is going to be kind of, um, an easy number to shoot for some natural course correction against Philadelphia, even though Philadelphia is going to be a little bit better with Arietta and Santana, even though neither of those guys are superstars, they are both very serviceable players. Um, Braves played like crap against them last year, but I don't think that Philly is as good as they we're playing against us. And I think that the opportunity to beat up on the Marlins a little bit will present itself. I think the number is, I don't want to say it's irrelevant, but I think that if you get 78 wins and Ozzy stays who he is, Dansby rebounds a little bit. You see the strides that you're, that you're hearing about. I mean, every team is saying, Oh, so-and-so is the best shape of his life. He's pitching better than he ever has before. If Fulte is growing into the prospect everybody thought he was same thing with Newcomb, same thing with Gahara. I think that as long as everybody keeps progressing, if Acuna doesn't come up and just completely the bed, I, I think that uh, as long as the team is exciting, that's the biggest thing for me. I, I said, I think that's, two weeks ago, 2017 was the most exciting year of Braves baseball since 2013. And that's more what I was so, going for. Aside from win and loss, <laughs> I, I, I tend to agree with you. I don't think the success of the season really rides on win and loss. As long as you don't, you know, as long as you don't draw, if you don't, you know, pull a 65 win season or something like that. Um, yeah. I think it has more to do with the playing time and the growth. If you can actually see the growth of these young guys or you start to see this next wave start to make their way to Atlanta. It's going to start with Acuna, but I fully expect Dustin Peterson at some point, whether through injury or through ineffectiveness or a trade for somebody to, to come up at some point. Uh, Freed will come up at some point. You're, you're certain. Um, I, I caution about whether you'll actually see Austin Riley up this year. You may come September, but that's so far away as to be useless to even bother projecting. For the most part, I, w- I would tend to say he's probably going to stick if not the entire year, it'll be until September in the minors. But, you know, there, there's a lot to be said for that. You've got a lot of pieces that you're going to see. Josh, how do you gauge a successful season? Is it playoffs or bust for you? Uh, it's not, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I do. Honestly, I, I've got my, my bar set a little bit high. Maybe it's too high, but I, I, here's what I think. I did, the Rays sucked for a long time, longer than we're actually probably aware. Cause I think, uh, I think Braves fans are kind of like Georgia Bulldogs fan. You know, Bulldogs fans up until recently sucked for a really, really long time. The Braves have sucked Thanks. since like 2001. Thanks. Uh, You're trying to kick me in the balls yeah. here on my own show. I am. Uh, but if you talk to a Dogs fan in the year, they talk like they're the Yankees, right? Um, the Bra- Braves fans are kind of like that. Maybe not the last three years, right? But like in general, you know, the last 10, 15 years. But the Braves have not been good for a while. So for me, it's like, Hey, if they don't win 81, 82 games, then, I mean, it's just another boring, crappy season. You know, uh, I think what I hope as a fan, I hope you see a rotation starting to formulate, you know, I hope you see like a, a group of guys who are the brave starting rotation instead of a zillion pitchers, you know, um, same thing as with the bullpen. I think the last, what, three to five years, it's just been like pitcher after pitcher after pitcher. It's just been kind of boring. You know, one of the exciting things about being a Braves fan right now is that you've got a farm, you know, coming up, you know, the best farm, one or two, depending on what websites you read, you know, and because of that, you've got some retainable talent, right? Because I think, I think as a fan, it gets kind of old, man, when you're watching a team – and it's like one year deal, one year deal, year deal, one year deal here. Uh, you got, you know, they basically become the athletics. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, so so I think based on what I'm saying, I think the Braves are going in that direction. That that sustainable, you know, talent. I think. So uh, to answer your question, um, yeah, I think 81 to 84 wins. 
you know, if it's if it's Saturday night or less, it's another crappy boring season. <laughs> All right, I the hard stance there at the end. I like it. Uh, I really kind of just want to see the young guys myself. Um, what do you? There's so much. When you have when you are the number one prospect in the game, Ronald Acuna, uh, everybody's expecting him to come up and just put up, you know, just destruction numbers and just start tearing the cover off the baseball like he has been in spring. Doc, if I were to ask you, what's a realistic expectation for Acuna? What would you say? I think hitting two eighty five with eighteen home runs and twenty five steals and fifteen caught stealing. Um, I still that's that's <laughs> me. Yeah, he, <laughs> well, you look at his numbers last year. Yeah, it's stole, not it's not a great percentage, right? And you know, and now they've got um, they've got Eric Young, who's going to be the uh, first base coach, and they talked about how much more aggressive they're going to be on the base paths. I believe um, it when I see it. Well, and as of uh, yesterday was, I think the the first time that the Braves have been caught stealing all all spring. So uh, if if nothing else, as long as the timing is gets a little bit better, but that. The two biggest knock on Acuna were the strikeouts last year, which were getting better as as he progressed, which is completely abnormal, and also the fact that he got thrown out like forty percent of the times that he tried to steal. So, um, I, I think that he he still has a couple of things to work on, but I, I think you know two eighty five uh, and you know eighteen home runs and twenty five steals. I, I think that's a pretty respectable season, and he, he's going to make some highlight real plays in the outfield, and and just kind of set himself up now. And if he comes up and he has that season, now he's going to have, uh, see when that season starts, April 4th, April 5th, somewhere around there. And he can, uh, he can get that team can get the extra year control after April 13th. So, I mean, he's only going to wind up playing a couple of games in Gwinnett, um, ideally, but if he comes up and all he does quote, uh, quote unquote, all he does is, is have a season like that. I mean, there are going to be so many people saying that he's a bus and he didn't meet expectations. And, you know, I'm, I am not prepared for, for all of that, but I think that just coming up and as long as he doesn't come up and fall apart, basically you're asking him to have basically a Will Myers rookie season, which is an outstanding rookie season. It's just when you have people on Twitter asking if you would trade him for Mike Trout, and then you have people that are saying, no, they wouldn't like idiots. Then you're you're setting yourself up for just massive expectations because I was actually going to go a touch under what you said. I was going to say if he hits two seventy, two seventy five with sixteen to eighteen. That's what I'm saying. And forty and forty RBIs that I'd be yeah. I'd, I'd be happy. I twenty five steals I'm, would be nuts. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I, I'm putting him at like two seventy five with a three fifty four on base with you know maybe thirty nine doubles. You know what if he I could see him leave the team in RBI. Oh wait, I'm I'm sorry, guys. That's Nick Marquez's stash from last year. Um, I, no, I could, I could honestly, I could see, um, you know, realistically, uh, two, yeah, two seventy to two seventy five, though, for real. Uh, with with obviously more speed. Um, keep in mind, keep in mind, and this is a hot topic here, but keep in mind, Andrew Jones, his first full season in the majors, exact same age, same swing, same skill set, different game. Okay, granted. Uh, he hit 231, you know, his first year. Um, he didn't really start figuring out for another year or two, you know? So, I don't know. I think it's such a different game at this point because I think it's so offensively oriented now that it's a little bit easier when you come up. Especially yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. There's, there's a lot less. like there. It's so much easier. People have this kind of overblown perception about how hard it is to hit a major league pitcher when you're the rookie. The rookie season uh-huh. super is really difficult, but it's not for the on the field reason. It has everything to do with prepping yourself to be playing every single day for 162 games. That's why so many fade right. at the end of the season. When you first come up, there's no tape on you, so pitchers don't have any of this advanced stuff. Like, oh hey, when you get a one-two count, throw them a front door curveball instead of a back door slider. Like, they're, they're, right. there's so pitchers are so weird. That they most pitchers have game plans for individual hitters in the game, much less right. game plans for the game itself. Like talk to Maddox, Maddox would tell you that he had a game plan for literally every single hitter, and it was like seven months in advance. There's the story, crazy. There's the story of Maddox giving up a home run early in the year to a batter, so that when he faced him 
later on in the season in the playoffs or for the playoff game, he wouldn't be expecting a certain pitch. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, that's obviously guys, crazy. That's, that's true, though. Uh, Bob Feller was also like that. They're the only two guys that I, that I know of that could do that. That's obviously guys. crazy person prepping, but somewhere in the middle of that is the truth of what pitchers face. Uh, that's why I think it's a lot harder to be a rookie pitcher than to be a rookie hitter. Although the second Ooh, year, it tends, the second year is when it tends to flip flop. Um, you know what? I can't wait for. I can't wait for um, Acuna to. I, I really do think he's going to be a stud, and I, I think I, I totally think Doc agree. might might be closer to as crazy and as, as homer as it may sound uh, to being more accurate on his um, projections for his rookie season. I, I can't wait for Ronald Acuna to get up. And have that swag and piss some guys like your Madison Bumgarner type guys off. We're actually heading pretty close to close. So as always, we have some fun <laughs> questions that we always have to ask all of our guests. Now, because it's Josh, these are these aren't just like fun and, and silly questions. These are like actual questions. Questions. Okay. Um, I'll lead this off, and I'm going to come at you hard right from the get go. Okay. If Matt Diaz. And Nick Markakis are falling off a cliff. You can only save one. Who is it? Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> uh, Matt Diaz. Really? Oh my yeah. god! But only, only because Markakis doesn't need me to save him. You comped him to Batman. Batman has no powers. He can't survive that exactly. fall. Exactly. Ah oh, shit! I don't know, man. I, I I'd have to go with Matty D. In that same vein, I will ask you this one question, and I already know the answer. I just want you to have to put this out there into the podcast world so that everybody can hear it. What other team outside of Atlanta do you pull for? Who's your one team outside of Atlanta? Oh, um, okay. Uh, Don't you lie question. to me. It's a complex answer. Um, I let me answer it truthfully. I, I'm you, the God's honest truth. There, there's really not one, but I will pull for teams during the playoffs. And when I say during the playoffs, that generally means when the Atlanta Braves aren't playing because they suck and they never make the playoffs. So um, it, it's different, man, honestly. Uh, sometimes it's uh, the Royals a few years ago. Uh, in, in 2015, I became the biggest Munanori Kawasaki fan. I think in America. Yeah. Probably the only <laughs> Kawasaki fan in America. No, Jay, Jay Dunn loves, Jay Dunn loves Kawasaki, dude. Uh, it was me and him. And uh, I, I literally bought a Blue Jays cap, dude. And I became a Blue Jays fan for like uh, maybe three weeks. And um, and may, there might be some other teams. I, uh, You're I, stalling I right for, now. You know exactly I, who I'm going for. for. Put it out um, there. Okay. Okay. So this past off season, Dylan. I wanted a very classic historical matchup for the World Series. I wanted the Yankees and the Dodgers to meet up, okay, like the days of old. Okay, so I might have been rooting for the Yankees in some particular game, but I wasn't a Yankees fan. I was just rooting for them to make it to the World Series to play, you know, the the Dodgers. Okay, I'm sorry. And maybe, maybe I love Brett Gardner just a little too much. And do you own a Yankees hat? Okay, I can explain that. So my little cousin, <laughs> my, little, <laughs> my little cousin Brett, okay, he now plays for Model High School in Armurchy, Georgia. Um, he he his little league team was the Yankees a few years ago, and I I bought a Yankees cap and I wore the Yankees cap to his games, and I wore it one other time in public, and that was the day that Yogi Berra died. I wore my Yankees cap. That's I'm gonna I'm gonna have to have Nikki on to actually make sure that you're telling the truth here. And I don't I don't think she'll cover for you. I think she'd be honest. Uh, she probably would. Yeah. Who's the bigger face of the podcast, Hank or Ken? The big the bigger face of the podcast definitely Hank. Yeah. Lord. What's the biggest right. obstacle in your mind for Atlanta this season? Say that again. Biggest obstacle that Atlanta's going to face this season in your mind? Who is it, or what is it? Like, a, like, a, like a team? Oh, uh, like what is it? Um, biggest obstacle. Hmm. Hmm. I think it's the uh, it's the Miami Marlins. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, mark it down right right on the board. I'll write so it in Sharpie. The Braves are going to own the Nationals and the Mets and all the good teams. But when they play the Marlins, they're going to forget how to play baseball. Okay. I think Doc has some pretty good questions on here as well, right? Oh, dear God. Yeah, I do. I have uh, six questions that that I wanted to ask you, but we actually have some uh, we have some fan mail that uh, oh. that I wanted to, <laughs> to get some some responses for. Uh, the the first is from Andy Harris from outfieldflyworld dot com. That's uh, oh, at K two six DP. I never heard since, of him. <laughs> ever since Luke Dykstra was traded. Uh, middle infield depth in the Braves farm system has been like a sucking chest wound. Mm. Uh, Josh, do you think mm. um, that things can turn around, or should we all just become hockey fans? You know, I, I know it's it's easy to get really upset and mad and angry at the Atlanta Braves when, when they when they trade away generational talent like Dykstra. You know, I call him Rod Carew two point You might call him Luke Dykstra. It's easy to get pissed off, man. It is. It's easy to throw your hands in the air and pull a Scott Coleman and just want to just play in traffic. But uh, I still think the Braves have a great scouting department. I think they are good at what they do. And they're so deep that even with Dykstra gone, I think they're going to be okay. All right. All right. I, I commend the optimism. Uh, next question is from Black Wids. That's at Janelle underscore twenty three ten. If hits don't matter, mm-hmm. but they lead to runs, and runs win games, mm-hmm. are base on balls the most effective strategy in the game of baseball? <laughs> Great question. Um, no, not at all. Uh, uh, Nick Markakis, a uh, former Olympian, um, has an outstanding on base percentage uh, almost every year. Just he's an on base guy, but. But uh, fans don't like that. They get they get really mad. And it, on base on base is so 2003. Okay, we're past that. We're past money ball. Getting on base doesn't matter. Hitting doesn't matter. It's all about the long ball. That's why Todd Frazier has a job, right? So no, to answer Janelle's question, walks don't matter uh, at all. So it's uh, it's either that's why I wrote that that piece that research piece last week because um, I'm thinking like. You know, if, if only home runs matter, then we got to figure out something to do with the baseball field because we're just wasting prime real estate. You got really nice grass, you got really nice soil. And I mean, I, I've met some of these field crew guys, and they, dude, they literally go to college for this stuff, for irrigation. And we've got these engineers maintaining these baseball fields for guys to run around with gloves trying to stop stuff that doesn't even matter. Like, it, it literally makes no sense to me. So I'm saying, you refashion all the baseball fields into urban farms, and you feed the poor. It's easy. Humanitarian Josh trying to set himself up for the Nobel Peace Prize. It's just that easy. Hmm? We'll we'll talk to we'll talk to Ed Mangan. Uh, we'll try the uh, Braves field crew uh, head. We'll we'll see how he feels about uh, about that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, so next question comes from Braves Options guy. Uh, oh, you God. know him. Yeah. Wait, that's not fair. He wasn't on Twitter. That's not fair. No, hey, you know he, he special request. He's got access. Yeah, he's got access to the to the Nakahoma account. He wanted to get your feelings on the Spotify playlist he made. He entitled Luke Dykstra. The songs he included were "Single Ladies," "Living Single," "Single," "Technically Single," "Singling and Mingling," "Single Ladies," "Put a Ring on It," "Feeling Single," "Single for the Summer," "Singled Out," and "First Base." So. Mm. Would you listen to that playlist? Um, here, here are my thoughts about that playlist. Uh, Nick Marcus has made it to first base 2,552 times more than my dear friend, Ray's Options guy. Fair enough. No, that's fair enough. And uh, we have one more piece of fan mail to ask you, and, uh, and then we'll get to, uh, to the ones that, that I have procured for you. This comes from Freddy's Gatto Jr. That's uh, at Freddy's Gatto. I have under pretty good authority that uh, – this is an actual cat. Uh, what is the best way to get Ken's autograph? Ken's easy. He's easy. He's easy. You just have to just 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 follow him and like his stuff. You know, add him on Facebook. He gets kind of religious on there, so it's kind of weird. But just like it every now and then. Just let him know you're 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 there, and you, you 
make him make him think you care, right? Like like he thinks that I care about him, but I'm I'm just in it for the money. So you just let him just like his just like his stuff on the internet, but don't actually you don't have to actually like him. You know what I mean? Like that's why we have Twitter and Facebook. You don't have to like these people, right? You just literally you just add him on Facebook. He tweets about Jesus. You like it, and then that's easy. And then you say, "Hey, can I have your autograph?" Well, if the rumors are true that you guys will be uh, coming out to social media night this year, then uh, if Gato can get a ride out to the stadium, mm-hmm. then uh, then maybe we can uh, we can work something out. Do they allow pets else, in the stadium? In, in carriers, in certain cases, I think so. Uh, and if it's Freddie's cat, he's got a press pass. He better. All right, so that that concludes the fan mail section, and uh, now you know we we spend so much time uh, getting getting your thoughts on baseball. I mean, even I think we're an hour into the podcast now, and we've been uh, talking pretty much strictly about baseball th- this whole time. So uh, just to humanize you a little bit, want to ask you a couple things that uh, just completely non sequitur questions about. Uh, you can't use words that big topics. for him, Doc. You know that. I didn't mean to speak <laughs> Latin. I you know, uh, but okay. So here's the first one. Um, between between Dorothy, Rose, Blanche, and Sophia, who was your favorite golden girl? Oh, Blanche, all the way, baby. Hell yeah. <laughs> okay. How could that be so creepy and so funny at the same time? Like, he he didn't even hesitate. It was, it was like he knew I was going to ask you. That's a woman right there. You know, there's, there's like, there's women, you know? And then there's women, right? Blanche is a woman. <laughs> Uh, what is your favorite tongue twister? My favorite tongue twister. Uh, my favorite tongue. I don't know. I, uh, when I was a kid, um, one of my first books I ever remember reading, um, was, uh, it was a book about this like little, uh, Japanese kid that fell to the bottom of this well. And it was called, it's called Tiki Tiki Timbo. You guys ever heard of it? You don't have I to have. lie. We know that was last week for you. It was. and uh, But anyways, Tiki Tiki Timbo, No Summer, but Cherry Baby Fuji, Pitberry Pimbo, fell to the bottom of the well. I don't know wow. if that constitutes as a tongue twister so much. Uh, I'm like going to give you the A plus just name. for remembering it and just rattling it off yeah. like that. That's good. That was real good. I remember weird stuff. All right. So you're two for two so far. Uh, third question, and this is very important. Huey Lewis in the news, okay? Uh, great band or the greatest band? Uh, I'm going to go with neither. Oh, um, come on. Have you ever heard sports? I mean, they're they're good. They're, they're Okay, I'll say great, then. I'll say great. They're, they're not the greatest. <laughs> I'll say great. Huey. Who, who is the greatest band? Other than Alabama? Oh, gee, Other than uh, Huey Lewis. Other than Alabama, or uh, I'm assuming just you mean no. You we, mean that there's, we, hey, there's we Alabama, Alabama. And there's other there's other bands, but uh, the greatest band uh, of all time would be I don't know. I'm kind of scared to answer this because you make fun of me. I probably it's, it's, will. Just say it. Okay, it, it sounds so cliche. Can I just qualify this with I like um, the Flying Burrito Brothers and I love '70s country. I like weird underground stuff. Uh, you are so hipster, it's not even funny. Just say you're the greatest I, band ever. Dude, I watched uh I watched this four hour documentary about the Eagles and it was so it was so good. Why would I make fun it, of you for the great. Eagles? It's the first it's like one of the first ever super groups. Everybody loves the well, Eagles. Yeah, but it's, it's like it's like kinda of, it's kinda of cliche because they're so they're like so huge that I just feel like uh it's like it's like a lazy answer to say they the never Eagles had a bad band. song. I agree. Anybody that hates the Eagles is un-American. There's people that hate there, dude. There's people that hate the Eagles. If there's people that hate hits, there's people that hate the Eagles. That's a good point. No, I get it. I mean, there's people out there that hate the Beatles too. Um, I, I there's a special place in hell for uh, for people that hate the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know any of those people. people Fourth question is is less of a question and more of a um, story time with Josh. Uh, mm. Tell us an embarrassing childhood story. An embarrassing childhood story. Um, or at least what other people would consider embarrassing. Okay. Uh, I got my, my head stuck in between the rails um, <laughs> at, uh, at Tum- the Cumberland Mall in Nashville. Uh, I, uh, I think I was like maybe like four or five. 
But um, the Cumberland Mall in Nashville, I just remember it being two stories. And um, uh, my mom told me to stay away from the rails. And so, of course, I went full on, not even, not just close to the rails, but I stuck my head through the rails to, to troll her. Like, hey, you, hey, woman, you can't tell me what to do. And then I, and then I tried to, like, pull my head out of it. I, I literally got my head stuck in between the rails. And I'm screaming and crying on the top, uh, on the second story of this mall. So I guess I just, just like imagine like a big mall, like a shopping mall. And there's people down below, like everywhere. Um, and I'm <laughs> screaming and crying. My, my dumb ass has my head stuck in the rail. How'd they get it out? Uh, I think, I think, uh, they, they, I think I remember like two, uh, like big strong men, like, um, pulling them apart. Like, uh, I vaguely remember this. I just remember I got, I got out eventually. There was no machinery involved, but there was some pulling of the rails to make my head come out of the rail. So, yeah. Have you ever stuck your head through a rail since? I, no. I've probably got way more embarrassing stuff that happened to me. I mean, yeah, my, my parents could probably tell you a lot, a lot of them, for sure. I probably Actually, I probably embarrassed them more than I embarrassed myself. In, in all sincerity. It's understandable. Uh, I think I probably I agree. Part, if, you were, if you were to ask my parents, it'd probably be the same answer. I yeah. wasn't embarrassed at the time. I felt it was worth doing at the time. Exactly. Yeah, I was like that. I, imagine me as a four-year-old. Like, I had no filter and I had the biggest mouth, and I just didn't give. Like, it, I didn't care. Um, I'm just I imagining you about, now, just tiny. I remember um, my dad. My dad likes to tell a story, but uh, we were at. Fulton County Stadium. I was, I was maybe five or six. I don't remember. I was, I was, I was pretty, pretty small, but not like infant or anything. Um, we're at Fulton County Stadium, and they had the trough back in the day. Like when you went to the men's room, they just had a big old trough, man, and you just whipped it out and you just pissed in this big old trough. It was, it was great. And I remember standing there in between my dad and this really big black guy, and I remember, I remember like looking at this dude's, you know. Schlong, and, and then I looked over at my dad, and, I remember, and, and, uh, and I was like, "Daddy, his is way bigger than yours." <laughs> and my dad, my dad said he was he was mortified, he was so embarrassed, like it was like, he, and my dad said like the guy started laughing or whatever, you know, and like, you know, we ended up leaving, but yeah. <laughs> Man, we we really decided to just take the PG rating for yeah. this week and just catch. I have to I have to switch this into explicit. <laughs> wow, yep. that was the first uh-huh. black ever saw. Thank you for that. Uh, how many guitars do you have, and do you have any stories around like your favorite ones? Um, I don't have a ton. I've got two acoustics, and I've got an electric. Well, we're also uh, including play, banjos, I- mandolins, like any stringed instrument. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got I've got a banjo. I've got um, I've got uh, one of my best friends, Clint Neville, gave me his guitar. It's a very nice, like early '90s Taylor three ten. And uh, and and Clint and, and me became really good friends. He's a buddy of mine, lives in Birmingham. Um, he gave me this guitar uh, probably back in like 2010. Um, so that means a lot to me. Uh, I've got two handmade cigar box guitars made by my buddy Adam Sykes. If you're on Facebook. He's got a music page called Brothers Music, and he lives in Rome, Georgia. He's a bartender at the Moonroof and River Dog in Rome, Georgia. And on the side, he makes these guitars, but he's actually very, very, very good. They're, they're like really high quality, like super high quality. One is made out of a cigar box, and the other one's made out of an old 50s like tackle box. Is that um, the slide and, guitar uh, that we got to hear? Yeah, yeah. And it's actually like, it, I, I can mess around on it, you know, like I can, I can play like basic crap on it um but it's like super nice it's really if, if somebody if the right person got a hold of it like it would be it'd be amazing it's it's pretty cool um and that's that's about it i think um my electric is a telly deluxe it's really cool i don't play it a whole lot though so the the electric guitar kind of goes against your whole style your whole persona it's mr outlaw yeah. country but it did get me the girl it got me the girl once i started plugging in that's how I met Nikki. Then I quit the band. <laughs> then I put a ring on it. Yep. I got what I wanted. I'm out. Exactly. 
<laughs> All right, Doc, you got anything else? Uh, yeah, I have. I have one one question left. Uh, the the guitars one was, was going to be one, but uh, I got tired of waiting, uh, so I stole it. N- all good. No, that's that's all good. Uh, have you ever been in a Turkish prison? No, uh, don't answer that. So the last question is: uh, say two nice things for anybody who's listening and 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 has never heard Naga Nomination before. Uh, we were kind of talking about Ken Hendricks uh, earlier, Josh's co-host on the podcast. Uh, so for this next question, Josh, say <laughs> say two nice things about Ken, and then say one not so nice thing about Ken. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, I can say a lot more than two nice things about Ken. I, uh, Ken is, he, he's like the smartest redneck I know. Um, he, he's highly creative. He, uh, he's a cattle farmer, and he also does other kind of farming. And I think he, like, harvests his corn or something. I don't know. He, he sends me weird videos of him riding around on, on giant, like, industrial-looking machines. Um, and he, 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 he almost has too much time during the day. Uh, to come up with, with really cool stuff for the podcast. He's very, very creative and talented. Um, and and just anybody that puts up with me every week, you know, uh, and and for a year, I mean, they're they're incredible. He, he, so he's very patient and, and kind and creative. Uh, one of the worst things about Ken is he can't write. He's a terrible writer. Um, he now now he can he can. Once it's done, like his ideas are great. He's a great, eighty great ideas. But when he sends me something, I have to edit that shit. I don't want to slip my wrist because it's basically like it's like a because he he writes kind of like he talks. Like he's a great orator. If you heard him on the podcast, he's great. He does his little life lesson thing, eighty grade. But I don't like <laughs> when he tries to write it down, man. Lord Almighty. Whew. Oh man, um, fantastic answers all. Fan- Ken, Ken, we love you, man. And uh, and I and if you're if you're still listening by this point, I promise we're gonna have you soon. <laughs> Don't worry about it. We're gonna have Ken on the podcast, and we're gonna have clarify, we're gonna have his rebuttals. Clarify, let me just clarify. Ken's not a terrible writer. He just can't spell. Is that better? He's, he just has <laughs> spelling problems. So. Oh, uh, that's what the red squiggly line is for. But yeah, uh, and if you're listening, Josh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, truly, one of the uh, one of the unique minds in in Braves fandom, <laughs> especially in the podcast world. You won't see many more genuine or or out there as you will, Josh. And little cool thing, if anybody's not aware at this point, Josh, you guys recently just got your first sponsor, correct? Yeah, we did uh, dugout mugs. They're really cool, man. They are. I thought they were a little bit out of our pay grade, but uh, I reached out to them a couple of times. I won them over. Hello, with some videos. I might have DM them, and uh, they're amazing. They're uh, they're out of Tampa, Florida. They did over a million dollars in sales last year. They're popping up in a lot of um, parks around the country. Uh, if you go to their website, dugoutmugs.com, if you use our promo code not ten, you can get ten bucks off your dugout mug. And they're really cool looking. They're actually made from baseball bats. It's a really mm-hmm. cool article or a really cool thing to have for a Braves fan uh, or really for any baseball fan in general. Everybody has their own coffee mm-hmm. mug, and this is definitely a piece that is yours, but you'll want to put it on display. That's right. All right, Josh. Once again, thanks for joining me. Uh, I think we're going to have to call this a show because now I've got about 14,000 separate edits I'm going to have to do in this show now. Mm-hmm. Um, Good luck, man. <laughs> I know uh, some of this was on purpose. Doc, it's been a pleasure, yes. sir. Oh, I appreciate both of you guys. Oh, man, thank you. Really, just thank you a thousand times for, for coming on the show. And, uh, you know, keep up your keep up your relentless optimism, uh, even at the expense of uh, trolling the living shit out of uh, everybody on Twitter who deserves it. <laughs> and some that don't, uh, just get- trolling to troll. I feel like Josh is that person that's supposed to keep the rest of us honest on Twitter. It's true. He serves All a greater right. purpose. And uh, Dylan, thank you for uh, you know, thank you for welcoming me back for the third week. I uh, you know, and uh, over the next couple of weeks, we will have some um, possibly not as entertaining guests as Josh, but we will have some very exciting guests coming up soon. Uh, Josh, I maintain that I will be invading Boone, North Carolina, sometime in the next couple of months. Maybe with that dead night at the Cardinal that you were uh, 
that you let me know about on Facebook. So, um, yeah, we will uh, we will high five in person instead of just over text message. And by the way, everybody, make sure you're tuning in next week where we will have Jim Callis on the podcast, and we will get we'll start a little bit of breakdowns as far as some of the stronger positions in the draft coming up. And I am going to attempt to not embarrass myself. Is that a promise? All right, everybody. I believe I believe we can call that a wrap. So everybody out there, thanks for tuning in. Uh, it's always a pleasure. We always love hearing any feedback. Let us know what you're thinking. Um, if you were offended by the first 20 minutes of our show, I do apologize, and I do hope you will return at some point. I will. I'm not promising I'll make it up to you, but I promise you'll at least laugh at some point later on in one of our shows. Everybody out there, have a safe night. We will see you guys next week on the Platinum Sombrero. Okay, thanks. Bye. Play guitar, play guitar